Hey, it's Zach here, and super quick before we dive into the show. If you haven't already, I want to make sure that you have subscribed to my free weekly Case of the Mondays newsletter, because it is where I share my best advice, strategies, and mindsets to help you design a creative career that you absolutely love showing up for every Monday morning. When you sign up, I'll even send you a bonus five-day email course to help you clarify and prioritize the next small steps in your unique path to success. To sign up, just visit optimizeyourself.me slash newsletter. All right, on to today's episode. My name is Zach Arnold, and I'm a former Hollywood film and television editor turned career strategist and the creator of Optimize Yourself, where I help artists, creatives, and storytellers just like you design the more balanced, more sustainable, and more fulfilling creative career that you deserve. In a nutshell, I'm Tim Ferriss meets Ted Lasso, minus the mustache, because I am obsessed with both learning everything I can about optimizing human potential while also inspiring you to realize yours. If you are ready to step outside your comfort zone, let's dive right in and unlock the optimized version of you. Hello, and welcome to the Optimize Yourself podcast, where I share honest and candid conversations with best-selling authors, world-class athletes, Hollywood legends, elite experts in a variety of fields, as well as everyday people that are achieving extraordinary things. It means the world to me that with all the podcast choices out there, you have chosen to invest your valuable time, energy, and attention with me. Now, before we get started, don't forget to visit optimizeyourself.me slash podcast so you can subscribe, leave a review, and so you can also download your unique customized podcast playlist where I'm gonna send you the five best expert interviews from our archives to help you achieve your specific goals. So on that note, without further ado, let's get right to today's guest. My guest today is Noah Arnold. He is a veterinarian and a business owner who runs his own veterinary clinic in Shorewood, Wisconsin, and he does it in a very unique way, to say the least. Now, before going any further, if you're wondering why in the world I would interview a veterinarian on a podcast that's all about reaching your full creative potential, trust me, this is one of the best and most inspiring stories that you will ever hear, especially if you're a freelancer or a small business owner that's struggling to build your own niche. Now, Noah did all of the right things. He took all the right classes, he got the right degrees, and he landed the right jobs. He had 2.4 kids, well, actually he has three kids. He has a car payment and he had a mortgage. He was doing everything that he was told to do in order to be happy, except that he was miserable. Needless to say, living the life that he was supposed to live was slowly killing Noah. In order to get to the point where he had the freedom to build a business his way so he could pursue his passion and fulfill what he believes is his true purpose in life, and by the way, that purpose is serving animals and serving people who love animals, he had to summon the courage to escape his old life of desperately trying to conform and fit into the corporate world of animal medicine. In our discussion today, Noah gives us an incredibly candid look into his journey and what inspired him to give up a life of comfort and security so that he could take a huge risk, bet it all, and pursue his dream. If you have ever felt stuck, lost, or you've asked yourself, is this really all there is? Then you don't want to miss this interview. I've released over 180 podcasts now, and I can honestly say that this is the first interview that ever brought me to tears, and I challenge you to make it all the way through without choking up at least once. Finally, as a full disclaimer, similar to my previous interview with world-renowned Instagram street photographer Daniel Arnold, and that's episode 54 if you're interested, Noah also happens to be my cousin, and by the way, he's Daniel's younger brother. 
So needless to say, I am extremely blessed to have such passionate, creative, and wonderful people in my family. This isn't simply because I have run out of people to interview, trust me. All right, without further ado, my interview with veterinarian Noah Arnold. I'm here today with Dr. Noah Arnold, and Arnold, that's an unfamiliar last name to me. I'm pronouncing that correctly, am I not? You got it, man. Got it. Okay, so Dr. (laughs) Noah Arnold, um, who is the proprietor and the creator of Dr. Noah's Ark, and you also just happen to be my cousin. And I'm super excited to have you on this podcast interview with me today. So thanks so much for taking the time to do it. Yeah, of course. I'm excited to be here. So the impetus for doing this interview is I basically, well, I just kind of ran out of people to interview and nobody would respond to my emails. And I said, you know what? I'm just going to start interviewing my family because I've got to fill up airtime. So, you know, I'm going to reach out to my cousins and you were the first one on the list. So, All right. I'll take it. So no, no, the the reason that we're here really has very little or nothing to do with the fact that we're related and we've basically known each other since birth. Um, The reason that we're here is because I love talking to people that do things their own way and are unapologetic about being authentic. And that really is what this show is going to be about because you've chosen a very unique path in your career as a veterinarian. And I I really want to go into much more depth into your practice and how you've done it and all that. But first, I just kind of want to understand the origin story of how we get to the meat of the story. So really, to start, just kind of tell my audience a little bit about you, because most likely, unless they're in Shorewood, Wisconsin, they probably never heard of you or your practice. You know, I guess the best place to start uh, is the start. I grew up in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, uh, the second oldest of six kids. I was always trying to make people laugh. You know, I was always the, the clown. Uh, it was actually voted class clown in my high school of, uh, you know, there were 400 kids in my class. And uh, that was like a great accomplishment for me. And, you know, it was uh, ever since I was a little kid, I was always in trouble. You know, I was always trying to make a spectacle of myself. And in the context of a classroom, or a workplace, it wasn't very well received. And, you know, because of that quality in in a classroom setting, I didn't pay very much attention. I didn't get very good grades. Um, I got sent to detention a lot. And there wasn't much hope for uh, a great success story. You know, my parents used to say, uh, if we can keep you alive through high school, we've uh, done our job. And um, when I was 15 or 16, I met a girl who was, I think, the first person that really had confidence in my intelligence and in my capabilities. And um, I remember being that age, 16, 17, 18, and having this sense that I could do absolutely anything that I wanted to do. And um, I always wanted to be a vet. I mean, from when I was a little kid, I I loved animals and wildlife especially. And it was my, my great dream. And it was an impossible dream. You know, it was like vet school was totally out of reach uh, for somebody with a 1.9 GPA uh, in high school. 
And I may, I remember reading the book into the wild and being so taken by the main character, Chris McCandless, his ambition to just follow exactly what he perceived to be the, the right path in the world. And that inspired me uh, to just unapologetically pursue what I wanted to do. And it took a long time and I worked my butt off and I made it through vet school and it was my dream to be a wildlife vet. And uh, I ended up in Sitka, Alaska, uh, working at the Alaska Raptor Center, living off the coast of Sitka in a lighthouse uh, that the vet I worked for had built uh, back in the 70s. And it was incredible. I mean, it was totally incredible. Uh, but it was lonely. You know, I, I always had this sense that if I got to the right place geographically, that everything else would kind of fall into place. Um, and what I realized is, you know, it, it's a cliche, and I think the name of a book, but, you know, wherever you go, there you are. And, you know, the, the things that I had maybe run from uh, in my home in Milwaukee, uh, I found waiting for me in Alaska, but in the absence of my friends and my family. And I recognized that wildlife really wanted to kill me more than be helped by me. And I made the decision uh, that I wanted to change gears and become a small animal vet. So that, you know, I, I want to uh, leave room for some more pointed questions, but that is kind of the, the origin story. Well, I definitely want to dig in deeper because uh, anytime you ask somebody about their path, I always inevitably find that they choose what I believe to be one of the most monumental turning points or shifts or journeys that they went through. And they go through it in, you know, half a sentence to a sentence at most. It's like, oh my God, no, I want to hear about that. So there's definitely stuff that I want to unpack more. First one, um, and I'm coming at this having, you know, just a little bit of secondhand knowledge, given that we have some family members in common. Um, if you're willing to talk about it, having said that you obviously came out of high school with less than ideal grades and less than ideal portfolio for somebody to say, oh, yeah, no, of course we should have him in this prestigious program. Um, can you talk through, like, because you say, I worked really hard, I did whatever it took, but I really want to define that and I want to break that down. So explain to me the process of actually getting into this program and then getting through it? Because I've heard that it was not the easiest process for you. Yeah, no question. So, you know, when I graduated from high school, um, I wasn't able to get into the university that I wanted to, uh, which was Stevens Point, which had a really good wildlife program. I remember being, you know, 17 or 18 and getting the rejection letter and, and tears streaming down my, my chubby little boy cheeks. And I ended up at the University of Milwaukee, Wisconsin, UWM, which was the only place I could get in just based on test scores. And, um, you know, for, for better or for worse, I've always uh, had at least an aptitude for, for learning, whether I perceived it at the time or not. And I also had this incredible sense of willpower and dedication where instant gratification was, was not something I sought. You know, I, I kind of looked 10 steps ahead. And, uh, you know, I, I remember uh, watching the movie Rudy 
where, you know, he can't get into Notre Dame and he goes to the community college and, and finally gets in. And it was that idea, you know, that I, uh, that a year into college, if I just got perfect grades, I could do whatever the hell I wanted and, and high school would be erased. Um, and it was true. I mean, I set up a schedule of really difficult courses, calculus and chemistry and, and all that. And I worked my ass off. I mean, I remember being in the library on Saturday nights when all my friends were out partying and um, being motivated by it, knowing that I was uh, pursuing a, a long-term goal rather than just trying to have fun. And I got straight A's for uh, a few years in a row. And my friends were generally the people that weren't able to get into out-of-state schools and weren't very ambitious and were making bad choices and weren't in college. And it wasn't an environment that, that fostered my, my ambitions. And um, so I transferred to the University of Minnesota with my, my girlfriend at the time, who's now my wife. And we moved to, to Minneapolis, uh, and it was a much more rigorous and more difficult program. And um, I found that a lot of the courses that I had taken didn't transfer. I hadn't looked into that prior to uh, transferring, uh, which is one of my qualities, that I just kind of let the river take me where I want to go without real thought about the difficulties that I might encounter. And that was one of those difficulties was that I had to be in school for an extra couple of years relative to if I'd stayed home. But I, you know, again, just, uh, you know, suffered through academia. I mean, I remember sitting in a physics class and just making like frown faces on my notebook because I was so miserable and, and feeling like I was in a after school special, you know, going home and, and, and I mean, I'm not much of a drinker, but I remember after one uh, organic chemistry test where I just went home and, and like straight out of a movie opened up a bottle of Jack Daniels and didn't, didn't get too very drunk, but it was just this, you know, I, I was pretty miserable. And because of my continued sort of class clown persona, I remember classmates of mine in college uh, just totally writing me off as uh, a goof and a, a not very serious student. But um, in the face of that, I ended up getting better grades than them. Because even though the, the outward facade was one of kind of indifference, you know, within me was this real desire to succeed. And, um, and I did. And I got into, into vet school in Madison after uh, one rejection, um, you know, I, I was rejected and uh, spent a year working at a vet clinic uh, to increase my, you know, to improve my resume and, um, and ended up getting in. And uh, it was, you know, I, I remember having the feeling when I got into vet school, you know, I had this sense that I had entered a, a marathon race uh, without having trained. Um, even though I'd worked my butt off in undergrad, the level of difficulty and intensity was incredible. I mean, it was like nothing I'd ever experienced. And um, 
I just gave myself over to it. I mean, I would stay at the vet school and study until midnight and go home and sleep and come back and start again at seven o'clock in the morning. And I did it every single day for, for years. And it was the most difficult thing I've ever done. I mean, it was without much uh, gratification. You know, the, the grades would come in and they would be uh, fine. You know, A's and B's, uh, if you dropped below a B average, you'd be on academic probation. If you didn't get above that, uh, you know, 2.9 within uh, the next semester, you could be kicked out of school. And um, it, it motivated me to just really power through it. And uh, I remember having this sense with a lot of the courses I was taking and with the uh, experience overall that things that initially seem impossible and things that you think you may never be able to do, within even just a few weeks, all of a sudden uh, you find yourself able to do them. And um, that's a theme that I've kind of called upon uh, throughout my life, where initially I was met with rejection or difficulty, but through perseverance was able to not just get the hang of it, but to, to excel. Well, I can, I can definitely tell you that you are amongst good company when you say that. And anybody that listens to this on a regular basis, they're like, oh, okay, now I see why he's on the podcast. It's not just a family thing. All right, this makes sense. Because I mean, it, it, what's really bizarre, and I want to make sure that people understand this just as a little bit of background, you and I really didn't grow up together. We knew each other as very young cousins. But by the time I was 10 and you were about seven, I had moved much farther north in Wisconsin. And then we saw each other like maybe, I don't know, twice, maybe three times total. So for anybody thinking, oh, this all makes sense, you and I really had completely different upbringings. You're in a very, not, I don't want to say urban environment, like you weren't in downtown Milwaukee, but you lived in a city. Um, I grew up on you know a farm 13 miles away from a town of 400 people. Um, and what's interesting is that I'm living in Los Angeles working in Hollywood and you're working with animals and you're a vet. So the, the irony of that, it, that does, isn't lost on me, but um, I want to make sure that my audience really kind of gets that even though we had very divergent paths, our stories are really similar. And the, the couple of things that I want to pull out of that that I think are so key are, first of all, you saying Rudy, I was just like cheering and yelling with my microphone on me like, yes, like that's one of my favorite inspirational stories. But I think the other key where I'm sure a lot of my regular listeners just perked up immediately was when you said, I wasn't really interested in immediate gratification. I was looking 10 moves ahead, which is basically the foundation of everything I teach is that life is a game of chess. It's not a game of checkers. But when you're that age, most people don't think that way. And I was the same way where on Saturday nights, I'd be in the edit suite editing student films and people's wedding videos and all kinds of crap while all my friends were out doing stuff. So I'm at least glad to know I'm not the only Arnold nerd in the family. That's very, very cool. <laughs> No question. Uh, and you also use the word marathon. 
And that's also the way that I will look at trying to overcome any type of obstacle or trying to achieve uh, what seems to be an impossible goal is that it really is a marathon and so many people want to sprint. And it would be very easy to go online and do a quick search for Dr. Noah Arnold or Noah's Ark and see videos of you on Inside Edition or NBC or wherever. Be like, oh, how cool, this young vet. He's like an overnight success. Good for him. You're like, Uh, there's nothing overnight about this. My sincerest apologies for the interruption, but if you're a creative professional who spends long hours at your workstation, not only is the following promo not an interruption, but listening has the potential to change your life. Because working with a topo mat underneath you at a height adjustable workstation is a game changer. Let's learn a little bit more from ErgoDriven co-founder and CEO Kit Perkins, creator of the Topo Mat. The Topo Mat is the first anti-fatigue mat designed specifically for standing desks. The real benefit of a standing desk is movement. We found bringing in this cushioned terrain under your feet, your brain just subconsciously engages and you wander around and you get that movement at the standing desk that you need without even having to think about it at all. People will come to me at an event or a panel and they'll say, I got the topo mat because of you. Even when they had a mat, once they used this one, it was a total game changer. We've just heard time and time again that with topo, we've kind of hit the sweet spot that it's the right premium quality materials and a right shape that people are actually getting benefit out of this stuff. You spend more time here than anywhere if you do creative work the way that I do. So I would rather be driving around in a Ferrari than a Ford Pinto. And I feel like this is the Ferrari of the standing mat. One of the things you don't realize is that at a standing desk, your main interface to the world, your body's main interface to the world is the ground. If you're gonna invest in anything at that Ferrari level, it should be what you're standing on. Well, my goal is that for anybody that is a creative professional like myself, that's stuck in front of a computer for inordinate amounts of time of their waking life, they're doing it standing on a topo mat. So uh, you and I, my friend, one edit station at a time are going to change the world. I like it. That's a utopian vision I can get on board with. If you're a creative professional looking for a simple and affordable way to stay active, energetic, and focused while spending long hours at your height adjustable workstation, I can't stress enough how important it is to have the right mat underneath you, which is why I continue to share the Topo Mat as my number one product recommendation. To learn more about the Topo Mat and purchase yours, visit optimizeyourself.me slash Topo. That's T-O-P-O. So what I want to talk about next, now that we've gone through the in more in detail about some of the struggles that you had, both getting into a good school and then what you did to get into vet school, which in and of itself, it doesn't matter um, whether or not you have great grades or not. Just getting into a vet school as good as University of Madison, that's no easy feat for anybody, especially somebody with a 1.9 GPA that was officially voted the class clown. Um, Kudos to you, by the way, for that. Yeah, thank you. So what I want to talk about now, which I think is to me one of the most interesting parts of the story, is where things progressed after you graduated from vet school. Yeah. Yeah, no question. And, you know, I think uh, to take one step back to my fourth year of vet school, one of the kind of defining moments for me was that I initially, in the first part of my clinical year, where you spend a lot of your time in the teaching hospital, there were opportunities for externship. And a lot of my classmates, you know, ended up going two miles down the road to a small animal practice. Um, and I wanted to be in Alaska and that's where I went. You know, I did, I spent two months in Alaska, uh, during that externship process 
where it was very casual, where they treated me as if I was a doctor, where I was on a first name basis with the other doctors. And I came back to vet school with this sort of nonchalance. And I have this quality about me, kind of the, the more nervous I get about something, the more calm and collected I uh, make my appearance. And um, so, it, you know, vet school in your fourth year is really pretty uh, stringent. And it's almost like a hazing process where they keep you up all night and they make you work your butt off and they put you in front of a room full of, you know, doctors and have you give presentations. And it terrified me. I was not used to being in that sort of arena. And um, I muddled through by giving this appearance of being totally calm. And I think it incited my instructors to be harder on me. And one particular story is that I was in a cardiology internship uh, within the veterinary hospital. And there was a, a woman who had more, I mean, she had like a full alphabet after her name, had multiple PhDs, and and uh, her name was Dr. Steppen. And I remember uh, going in the first day and saying, you know, hi, Rebecca. And she said, what did you just call me? And I said, Rebecca. And she said, my name is Dr. Steppen. And that set the tone. I mean, she was on me uh, for the entire two-week internship and at the end of it told me that I didn't have enough of a professional demeanor and that I needed to be humbled. And so she was going to make me repeat the rotation. You only get one chance to repeat a rotation uh, and not just that particular one, but any of them within the fourth year, which is a full 365 days without a break. And I was right at the start of it. And I had already um, I had already used up my one, uh, my one strike and it terrified me so much that I was going to be kicked out of school, uh, you know, a hundred thousand dollars in and having worked my butt off, uh, for the past decade, purely based on my personality. And, uh, the reason I bring up that story is that is exactly what happened when I became a vet. You know, I went out into the working world as this very gregarious, goofy personality. And when you're a new doctor working under somebody else who's trying to maintain this uh, environment that's very professional, it's frowned upon. And I remember, uh, you know, I do all my exams sitting on the floor. And I remember a doctor that I worked with uh, taking me aside and said, hey, you can't sit on the floor. And um, I remember telling my, my clients to call me Dr. Noah and being told, no, you're Dr. Arnold. And really being pushed into this sort of uh, classic uh, representation of what a doctor is supposed to be and supposed to act like. So I worked at that particular clinic for a few years and uh, was in Madison at the time and we had a baby and, and my wife was pregnant with our second baby and we were spending so much time uh, going back and forth to Milwaukee, which is like a, a two-hour drive, that we decided to move, which was a, a huge undertaking. We had purchased a house. I was established at a practice. Um, it had taken me years to finally develop a enough of a clientele such that I could 
you know, have appointments on the books every day. And we basically started over. And I remember the experience of, I had two months between deciding I was going to leave to sell my house, to find a new job and to make it all work. And it was a really anxiety provoking time. Two weeks into starting the new job with the new house and having sold the old one, it was like, you know, everything had settled and I was comfortable. And I had this feeling that this sense of security that we so often neglect our true ambition for uh, is really not so necessary as we perceive it to be. And the leaps that we want to take in life are really not so huge as we perceive them to be. And to be um, stifled and to, to, to not go after what you really want based on being afraid of making that leap. Man, if I, if I had given into that fear, I would still be at a practice where I was not appreciated and forced to, to be a person I wasn't. And so I was at this new practice in, in Milwaukee and, um, it was the same thing. You know, I, I basically a year in was told, um, you know, we don't want you going up in the front because when you're juggling and, and kissing babies, uh, you know, it, it reflects poorly on the rest of us for, for three years, I worked at this clinic in Milwaukee and was met with that same criticism from my colleagues that I wasn't professional enough. And um, I'm not professional in the way I interact with people in the classical sense, but I connect with them uh, on a human level rather than, you know, me being the doctor and them the, the client or the patient. I connected with them in a way uh, where we were both people, uh, you know, in, in this world trying to accomplish the same things, trying to, uh, you know, have a good life uh, free of discomfort and and make a, a good life for our children, et cetera. And um, so I, I left that practice uh, with $100,000 of student loans, uh, with no savings. And with the knowledge that I had worked way too hard and too long to have to edit myself, to have to restrict how I actually was. And I started Dr. Noah's Ark Veterinary Clinic, kind of predicated on this idea that I was just going to unapologetically be exactly how I was, um, that I was going to create a clinic where it was like going into somebody's living room and uh, I, and then that's what I created. You know, I created this very laid back environment with, you know, it, it's such a cliche because every coffee shop in the damn world looks this way, but, but vet clinics don't. So, you know, with reclaimed barn wood and Edison lights and uh, rugs and lamps and um, I'm a, a singer and a songwriter and I hung a guitar in each of the exam rooms. And it was just this total embracing of who I was. And it was incredible how well it was received. Um, you know, I, I started 
in February of last year with no clients and have been sitting on this floor playing songs and and doing magic tricks for kids and juggling and you know doing somersaults and handstands and and acting like a crazy person um, <laughs> and you know fast forward to right now I mean there are over 2,000 clients um, nearly 3,000 patients and the schedule is booked out uh, for weeks and each day is you know the schedule starts full and then I have 10 or 15 fit-in appointments and it is you know you look at the the typical um, progress of a veterinary clinic and they, you know, you, you look at the statistics and it takes five or six years to get to this point. Uh, if you ever get here and I was there, you know, six months in. So it, it, I mean, it's been a really unexpected and really validating, uh, success. One of the things that I think is so important to point out, and you kind of, uh, you know, you, you gave away the, the big reveal, but that's okay. No problem. Yeah. <laughs> um, is that it's one thing to walk away from security and comfort like you talked about. Because I, I think that one of the worst things for people today is security and comfort. And I think that we have spent so many years in our modern society spending billions of dollars making ourselves as comfortable as possible and making our lives convenient. And it's making all of us weaker as human beings. And, and that's a, I could go on a much larger soapbox and a longer diatribe all about that. But the fact that you decided, you know what, I spent all this time and all this money and I've made it and this sucks. And this is not who I am and it's not what I want at all. That's exactly. terrifying. Yeah. That is a terrifying feeling that I have gone through myself and not something I went through years and years ago, something that I went through about four or five years ago, which coincidentally is when I think I began my blog and podcast. I'm guessing there was a connection there, but you just realized that you have this image in your head. You're going to college, you're killing yourself, you're Rudy, you're getting your good grades, even though so everybody's telling you, you're not going to do it, kid. You just give it up, right? Right. So you, you have this in your mind. You go to vet school. You're thinking, oh my God, I'm going to flunk out of this because this teacher says I'm not professional and I got to change my personality and get through this. And then you finally make it. You reach, quote unquote, the dream and you say, this is not what I want. I've spent so much of my life getting to this point. I have it. And it's not what I thought it would be. And for most people, that's kind of where they just resign to saying, well, this is my life. And what I want you to just go into a little bit deeper, because I too am all about the human connection. Rather than talking about the, the details or the story, we've already kind of gone over all this information. Yeah. What I want to talk about is that moment, because it's a very important, pivotal, transformational moment for some people. And for others, it just becomes this weight. And what I want you to actually talk about is how it felt. I don't really want to talk so much about the superficial details, but just think back to when you had just sold your house, bought the new one, you're at another clinic and you're like, holy this is it. And it's not going to get any better. What did that feel like? You know, it felt disappointing. I mean, it, it felt like I for so long had held on to this notion of what I could be if I just kept plugging away. And what I realized was that I was still under somebody else's thumb, uh, that I was still being pushed into a, a personality that I wasn't comfortable with. And it felt 
I, um, you know, I, I pictured that I'd hit this plateau where I wasn't uh, ever going to get out of it. You know, I had, I, it was as good as it was going to get. And it wasn't that good. And it was disheartening. Well, the, the way that I can explain it for me, having gone through a similar process, the way that it felt to me was like somebody had handed me a hundred pound weight vest and I was wearing it 24 hours a day. It just, it was just like this dead weight on me that I'm like, I don't know how to get this weight off of me. I feel like I can't breathe. I can't concentrate. Everything is harder. Um, it would cause a lot of stress. And if this is something you're willing to talk about, um, I've been very, very open about my past history with dealing with depression and anxiety and you know other um, attention issues. And I don't know that much about your specific background, but I know that I'm not the only Arnold that has been blessed with these genetic superpowers. No, no question. Yeah. I mean, I have really struggled with anxiety and with depression. And I, and a big source of that was that what was within me belied my outer self, um, that I was trying so desperately to be a person that I wasn't. I remember that I would just turn bright red at, you know, the drop of a, a hat if another doctor approached me to talk about a case, um, if I was in an exam room with a person that I perceived to be very upstanding, stately, responsible, that, you know, I, I felt that I was trying to fit into this mold that really wasn't me. And yeah, I mean, the, the anxiety, it was interesting because I would be so anxious at work, you know, so afraid that somebody was going to talk to me and I was going to go beat red and, you know, get tachycardic where my heart was beating out of my chest and not be able to, to express myself in a way that I knew that I could. And then it gave way to really crushing depression as I left for the day. You know, I'd go home and I would lament my inability to access kind of my, my essence. And it went on like that for, for years. And truthfully, it could have gone on forever. You know, it was in that state of constant anxiety, giving way to depression. I was able to make a good living. I was able to be a husband and a father, you know, from the outside, from a, from an outside perspective, looking in, I had it all, I had arrived. And if I were using that metric, I would have stayed there. But a far more important metric for me was to be true to myself, which is such a cliche, but, it, but it's this idea that there is more than one way to do this thing, uh, not just being a vet, but being an adult and being a person, and to try to conform to this idea of, uh, of what other people think it should be and what many people are, in spite of the fact that that wasn't actually me, that that was not the life I wanted. 
I have spent almost 10 years now raving about how much I love my topo mat, and I have finally discovered what I now consider the topo mat of desk chairs, the Core 360. The Core 360, spelled Q-O-R, is designed to keep me constantly moving while seated in an upright and balanced position. To learn more about how it works, let's hear from Core 360 founder, Dr. Turner Osler, about why he created the Core 360 active sitting chair. When you sit badly, you sit badly for many hours a day. And that's really what the problem is. It's very hard to make yourself get up and do jumping jacks every half hour. But if you just swap to a chair that requires you to be muscularly engaged in order not to fall off, it's an easy bar to clear. For the procrastinators out there who hear all of the statistics and know how bad sitting is and it's the new smoking and they're thinking, that's something I'll worry about in a few decades, you're gonna feel the effects of having more energy at two o'clock in the afternoon or four o'clock in the afternoon that day. And that's the whole point. Your core muscles will be stronger. You'll have less back pain. All of this will make you more available for the rest of the pursuits of your life, your kids, your hobbies, your whatever. For those of us who need to practically live in front of computers to do our best creative work, the Core 360 is going to level up your game. Keep your body moving and keep the creativity flowing. To learn more and purchase what I consider to be the topo mat of desk chairs, please go to optimizeyourself.me slash core360. That's optimizeyourself.me slash QOR360. Well, and I think that the, the key word here, as you've already been saying, is authenticity. It's all about being authentic to other people, but more importantly, yourself. And the reason that I wanted to go even deeper into kind of that guttural feeling and the result of feeling this lack of authenticity, it manifested itself in you as depression and anxiety. And I've experienced a lot of that as well. And the reason I bring it up is that you are an incredibly highly, like if there is a spectrum, you're on the farthest end of the spectrum as far as creativity is concerned. I would, I would suspect anyway, just based on our conversations and knowing you, clearly creativity is a guiding force in your life. It is a huge part of who you are. And to think of yourself as a highly creative, emotional, sensitive person and being a veterinarian, those two, three, four things don't all really go together very well. We all have this image of what a vet is, right? If I said veterinarian to anybody, close your eyes and picture it, everybody's going to have a very, very similar picture. You don't fit that picture. You don't fit that mold. And why I think it's so important to acknowledge that is most of the people, if not all of the people that listen to the show, also work in creative fields. And a big theme is anxiety and depression and attention issues. And of course, I like to talk about getting down to brass tacks. And, you know, it's important to get more sleep and to, you know, eat a less inflammatory diet, making sure that you're moving and exercising, because all of these things are good for depression and anxiety. And from a biological perspective, all that's true. But on a much deeper emotional level, it's, you can do all of those things and none of it goes away because you're not realizing that this depression or this anxiety is just driven by living an inauthentic version of my life that I just don't feel like I fit within. And probably the most profound thing I ever learned that was just this giant light bulb moment is that depression is just anger turned inwards. And there's a level of me being angry at myself for either things I had done or the position I put myself in. So does any of that make sense to you or am I just totally rambling? No, I mean, it definitely makes sense. I mean, I was, and it goes back to what I said previously about kind of from an outsider's perspective, 
living this perfect life where, um, and I was, you know, I was eating well, I was riding my bike to work every day. I was, you know, I was doing things that from the perspective of what you're supposed to do to find uh, comfort and happiness in this world, you know, I was doing all of them. And it really was that sacrifice of my authentic self that underlied all of the anxiety and depression that I felt. And I, and I think it's a really good point about anger turned inwards because there was so much anger at myself for knowing that I had this potential, that I had this ability to relate to people on this very personal level and to explain uh, seemingly difficult concepts in a very accessible way that I, I wasn't I wasn't able to tap into that in the scene that I found myself. And it was, I felt like I was wasting it, you know, that I, I had this electrical charge in me that was not hooked up, you know, that it was it was this well of energy and love uh, that I just hadn't tapped into. I'm sure that the the natural sequitur is that I've found a way to tap into that. And uh, the anxiety and the depression, although they still exist, they exist more as motivation to continue on this path and to not be led astray, to not be driven by financial gain, to not be uh, pushed by, you know, all the the voices, the chorus of voices around me telling me what way to go. And I, I think it's that that restlessness that where I'm not comfortable in my security that uh, keeps pushing me to just uh, unapologetically go after who I want to be and what I want to accomplish. And again, I've already kind of hit this point, but I really want to hit it again, is that when you're at this point where you're leaving the practice that you were um, working at before you started your own, I can see somebody, and I, I don't know if maybe this actually happened, but I, I'm, I'm imagining this moment where you've made this decision, I'm $100,000 in debt, I've got a home, I've got these young kids, but I don't care. I'm going to do something that's authentic. And one of your fellow colleagues that really is compassionate and is a friend of yours saying, you know what, you do what you need to do and best of luck. And you know, I, what's more important is you need to build something that you love. Making it a successful business, don't worry about that. It, it's okay if you don't get clients. Just be authentic, be creative, be yourself. And you know, that, that's really all that you can ask for. I can kind of picture a conversation like that in my mind. And then you coming back a year and a half later and saying, Sue, got myself 2,000 clients. How are you doing? Right. right? Yeah. Right? Yeah. You know, it was, it's interesting because the opposite conversation happened over and over again, where people told me, you know, the likelihood of success in a saturated veterinary market in a city that has established veterinary clinics that have been around for 60 years and have a devoted clientele to try to insert yourself into that there's no way you know there's no way that you're going to be successful in in the short term uh in a way that you're going to be able to support your family and 
there was one voice that contradicted that. And that came from a veterinarian that I worked for in Alaska named Burgess Botter, who had left Texas, uh, where he grew up in, in the 1960s, and went to Sitka, Alaska and started a vet clinic. Didn't charge for, for veterinary service. He would open for two to three hours a day. And he, would, he worked on a barter system where the people in the town would bring him uh, fish that they'd caught or, you know, king crabs that they had harvested. He had a very modest lifestyle and uh, he had built these lighthouses on the islands that surrounded the coast would have like a weekend uh, bed and breakfast where he would shuttle people out. You know, he, he had these ways to, to make a living while still doing exactly what he wanted to do. Um, and he and I spoke before I started the clinic and I let him know my dissatisfaction with the field, uh, which he had warned me about. He had told me this is, uh, there's a lot of ego and there's a lot of pressure to be uh, a certain type of person. And when I talked with him about the struggles that I'd had over six years as a veterinarian, he said, you know, get out of there. He said, you, there's no reason with all that you've done and with the fact that you've gotten to the point where you are a veterinarian, there's no reason you should be waking up every day unhappy to go to work. To talk with somebody that had given up his comfort and his security and was living a really modest lifestyle, I mean, from the perspective of our society, you know, low income and without, you know, the, the new uh, iPhone, without any phone for that matter, uh, that to have him express to me his satisfaction with his life relative to mine, where I had all these things, you know, where I was able to, uh, you know, get the new iPhone and I was able to have uh, what society would perceive to be uh, an accomplishment. The contrast in our levels of satisfaction spoke to me and it helped me understand that even if I don't succeed, even if I end up uh, penniless, that there will be more satisfaction in having pursued who I wanted to be than there would be if I had great success doing something that I, I didn't perceive to be my own. So I think a really, really important theme to pull out of this that I've talked about some in past episodes is this idea of success and defining it. Because the world is very good at defining what the word success means. But what's more important for people is they need to define success for themselves. So the world was looking at you saying, Dr. Noah Arnold is a veterinarian and he's very successful and he's working at this very prestigious clinic and he has a very nice house in this neighborhood and he has 2.3 children and well done, congratulations. But that doesn't matter because it's not your definition of success. And your definition of success is so much more important because if you don't have that vision, it's hard to figure out day to day, what do I actually do? Like, how do I move forward? What are the actions that I take? Um, and I think that the, the other thing that's really, really important that I think you, even if you aren't 
haven't thought about it this way that you've done in spades. And this is, the, I feel like the step that most people miss is you know why you are doing what you are doing. Most people are very clear on, well, this is what I do, right? I'm a veterinarian. Like anybody would say, what do you do? Well, I'm a veterinarian. Sure. Okay. So how do you, you know, how do you do what you do? Well, you know, I do it with dignity and with respect and I treat blah, 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 right? Like all the stuff that you can put on a resume. Sure. But in order to, to really endure the things that you have endured, and the, the moment that I want to picture now is you've left that practice. You're literally sitting on the floor of this new clinic the night before it opens. You're thinking about, I can't even imagine the mountains of death that you probably had to be in to open up a vet clinic with all the equipment and the rent. And I'm sure that number is a lot higher than $100,000. Yeah. And you're looking at all this and no just all this, all this pressure, but you knew why you were doing what you were doing, which makes all of the details endurable because that why is so much more powerful than all those other things. So why is it that you do what you do? You know, I do what I do because I have been where I've been. I have felt what it feels like to not be listened to. I've felt what it feels like to not feel safe and to be belittled. And I wanted to create a space where people felt loved and listened to and comfortable. And I was finally in a position where I could do it, where I could, you know, this, this wasn't about me as much as it was having compassion for not just the animals of the world and, and even less so, which uh, is surprising coming from a vet that it's not so much about the animals as it is about these people. And uh, the amount of guilt that people experience in relation to their pets this sense of, I let this illness go on too long. I didn't notice the warning signs. I'm not feeding the right food, on and on and on. And to have that fear as you're walking into a vet clinic to be judged by this pinnacle of, of animal care, you know, people are terrified by it. They're, they're terrified by disease and they're terrified by the way they're going to feel uh, as they're belittled. And I wanted to create something where people, rather than feeling worse about themselves as they left the clinic, that they would feel that they were good enough. And that is such a focus of what I do. You know, the first thing I do when I go into an exam room is I sit on the floor and I say, how are you? And very often people go in to uh, the condition of their pets. And I stop them and I say, no, how are you? And uh, it often catches them by surprise. And I can't tell you the, the amount people open up to me and the number of tears that are shed in that office that have nothing to do with animals. Uh, the stories about people's ailing parents, the, the stories about their own struggles with mental illness and um, to be able to give them reassurance and validation, that's why I do what I do. Man, you got me in tears over here. You're killing me. Yep. Um, I mean, that's just, that's so, so profound. Um, and that's, that's really what I'm trying to tap into. Um, I'm usually trying to get my guests to cry, but man, you, you, yeah. you got me. 
Um, but that that's really what I think is so important is that that vision in your mind, and maybe you weren't literally thinking this, but like, it, again, going back to this analogy of you're, you know, sitting in your clinic the day before you turn the lights on, you have 0.0 clients and mountains of debt. But in your mind, you're not thinking, man, I hope this goes well so I can pay off my loans or I can prove everybody wrong to you. All I want to do is create a safe space of compassion for my clients and for my patients. And having that vision makes all the invoices that need to be filled out and the bills that need to be paid in the long hours, like all the stuff that gets in your way, all the obstacles and challenges, those don't look so hard when you think about what you're working towards. No question. No question. And it has been my business plan from the beginning to not have a business plan. Uh, to just, I'm glad I'm not the only one. <laughs> you know, that, that, that the, the money will come and maybe it won't, but ultimately this is about the impact that I want to have on this world. You know, this, this world that is so often cruel and unfeeling that, uh, there is a ripple effect and, that by treating people in a certain way, it dictates the way they treat somebody else. And to have this, this beacon of, of energy that can just ripple, you know, not just through the community, but through my online presence through the world. That, that's what it's about. Well, and speaking of your online presence, I'm going to make sure that anybody that's listening to this, if they go to the show notes, that they can see all of the different pieces that have been done about your work. Because even though you're in Shorewood, Wisconsin, I'm not even 100% sure what that is. I'm guessing yeah. you're still Southeast Wisconsin, right? Yep. Yeah. It's just uh, a couple of miles north. I mean, it, it borders the city of Milwaukee. So it is just a, a northern suburb of Milwaukee. Sure. So, and for most people listening, or at least a lot of the people, even that I meet in LA, they're like, Wisconsin. Oh, that's a state, right? Is that in the Midwest? Like, right. so where it is in Wisconsin is immaterial because they're not even 100% sure they know what or where Wisconsin is. But the point is that the work you've done has gotten the attention of so many different people that you have news stories where you're sitting on the floor in your clinic playing a guitar for dogs and for cats and for all these people, like you said, to, to give them a feeling of comfort and being compassionate and giving them the space where they just feel safe. And that is going to reach to so many more people than just the physical clients that come into your office. So to me, that's part of the reason, if not one of the biggest reasons that I really wanted you on the show, is that even if somebody has a dog or a cat in Los Angeles and they say, eh, I'm never going to be able to go to that clinic, it sure sounds cool. But just imagine there's a veterinarian that sees that news story or listens to this in Los Angeles. And they're like, oh my God, that's me. Yeah. Like I've, I've been trapped in this clinic and I just, I, I've always wanted to sing to animals and I never felt like I had the permission to do it. Yeah. So thank you, Noah, for giving me the permission to do that. Yeah. No question. Uh, well, on that note, um, I'm not sure I can handle another round of this because you've just emotionally <laughs> exhausted me. Um, but I, I just cannot thank you enough for being so open and so honest about your journey because I really think whether or not somebody's building a business, whether or not they're working in a creative industry where they just don't feel like they fit and they can't be themselves, I really, really hope that you've inspired people to just take another look at 
how they're living their lives and whether or not they're truly being authentic and being the person that they want to be. So I cannot thank you enough for sharing your story, your struggles, your challenges, and now your triumphs. Um, Before we go, if somebody wanted to learn more, whether they physically wanted to go to your office or they just want to learn more in general, where can I send them? Yeah, so I have a a clinic website, Dr. Noah's Ark, D-R-N-O-A-H-S-A-R-K.com. Um, and if you just Google or if you go to Facebook and type in Dr. Noah's Ark, you'll be able to see these daily uh, blogs that I do. Yeah, and there's no question that if somebody wants to get to know you better, Facebook is the place to do it because your entire life and the, the deepest depths of your heart and your being are in individual Facebook posts. And that is not an understatement. No, no question. And you know, to that point, just one more thing quickly. I want to say that when I sit down with a client, when I sit down to write a Facebook post, when I sit down to write a song, I have no idea what I'm going to say. I have no idea what I'm going to write. These things come out of the air and they, they come from, you know, we've talked so much about being authentic. They come from just embracing what is inside of me. And I so often surprise myself by the the things that that come out of my mouth or out of my my pen, and I wouldn't be able to find those things. I wouldn't be able to create these things that I've created without letting myself, uh, just letting myself go. And I think that is the trick to the success that that people are looking for is to not focus on the success, to focus on authentically being yourself and that that's what the world is searching for. That's what, that's what each of us are searching for is to, to be comfortable in our skin. And by projecting that, by being that, uh, the, the world turns and takes notice. I couldn't have written it better myself if I spent a year scripting this interview. Um, that is like the, the best way to close it whatsoever. So on that note, I want to thank you once again for taking the time out of your day, especially away from your patients, your clients, and of course, your family and your kids. So thank you so much for being with me today. All right. Thanks, Zach. Nice talking to you. Thank you so much for investing both your time and energy listening to today's show. If you were inspired by this conversation, don't forget to subscribe in your podcast app of choice and most importantly, leave a review because that helps move the show to the top of iTunes and get our message out there to those who need it the most. Simply visit optimizeyourself.me slash subscribe to never miss another episode. Lastly, stay safe, healthy, sane, and most importantly, be well. One last thing before I lose you. If you haven't already, I want to make sure that you subscribe to my free weekly Case of the Mondays newsletter because it is where I share my best advice, strategies, and mindsets to help you design a creative career that you absolutely love showing up for every Monday morning. When you sign up, I'm even going to send you a bonus five-day email course to help you clarify and prioritize the next small steps in your unique path to success. To sign up, just visit optimizeyourself.me slash newsletter, and I will see you in your inbox.